0: We have been working our way through the Gospel according to Luke for quite some time now. In the past several Sundays, we've been working our way through Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 records several different stories of Jesus talking to and with other people. And there are some common threads within these conversations that Jesus had and these teachings that Jesus had in Luke chapter 18 that bind them together. One of those common threads that binds them together is failure, the concept of failure. Failure is a common theme throughout Luke chapter 18. Consider these examples. In Luke 18:1 through 8, Jesus promised that God would give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. But then Jesus said in verse 8, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now the answer is yes, he will find faith on the earth, but not nearly as much. As he should find on the earth. And so God's people, or people in general, in fact, have a failure of faith. And Jesus says, When I return, there's going to be a lot less faith than there should be. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the next paragraph of scripture in this chapter, Jesus described the prayer of a very religious man who failed to receive. Forgiveness of his sins because of his pride. And Jesus concluded about this man and about this situation with these words in Luke 18, 14. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. The failure of forgiveness comes from pride and exaltation of heart. In Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, the disciples failed. They failed to see that Jesus wanted to pray for children whom parents were trying to bring to Him. They failed to realize how important children are to God, not only because of their um, young nature, but because they embody what the kingdom of God is all about, the fact that it needs to be received. And so their failure to understand this was spoken of by Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, verse 17, when he says, I tell you that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so there's a failure to be childlike in your faith and thus receive the kingdom that God has promised. Going forward in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, Jesus met with a rich man who wanted to know what he lacked in salvation. If ever there was a softball evangelism opportunity, this was it. A man who came to Jesus asking what he lacked. And Jesus gave him a hard truth. Jesus commanded him to abandon everything and follow Jesus. Follow him in faith. And this man refused. He failed to receive eternal life. And about that, Jesus said this. That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And the disciples said, failure is guaranteed then. Who then can be saved in Luke 18, 26? And so one story after another, after another in this passage is about somebody's failure. It's not about total failure, but it's about some level of failure in the words of Jesus. Finally, in uh, verses 31 through 34, The twelve apostles that Jesus hand-selected were given a word of instruction from Christ himself alone, a private word that was for them only, and it was a forewarning of his coming crucifixion and resurrection. And just like other people in in this situation, in this story, they failed. They failed to understand what Jesus was saying. And the scriptures tell us in Luke eighteen thirty four, 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And so do you see the common thread of failure that runs through every paragraph of scripture here in Luke chapter 18? Jesus is pouring out so much truth, and yet disciples and non-disciples alone just fail to see its implications, to see its importance. And to receive all that God has offered. And so we have a record of all kinds of failure in this section. And many of them involve the failure to be saved. Many of these passages describe people who ultimately don't receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now sometimes in life we, we, feel, fa- we feel like failures. We encounter failure. And we encounter in such mass proportions that we wonder if anybody can even succeed. I took a computer class like this once when I was in college. And I think it was the instructor's fault. He was a new teacher and (laughs) knew a lot about computers, not necessarily so much about teaching. And his lectures were so hard to follow and so muddled and so missing in such key information that I think we all went to the computer lab saying, who then can be saved? Like, who, <laughs> How is anybody going to pass this class because we don't understand what the man's talking about? And when you encounter a situation like that where there is so much failure and, and so much um, just a lack of ability to succeed, you wonder, can anybody succeed? And if so, what does it look like when somebody does not fail? What does success look like? And since salvation is one of the major themes also in this passage, we wonder what it looks like when somebody is saved. If all these people come to Jesus, they go to the temple to pray, but they're not saved. And they come to Jesus and ask, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And they go away unsaved. What does it mean for someone to be saved? What does that look like? And thankfully, Luke 18 does not conclude with failure. It concludes with success. It shows us what it looks like when someone is saved. And this passage of Scripture that we come to this morning, this story about Jesus and his encounter with a blind man answers a really important question for us. And it's a question that ties together every passage of Scripture in Luke 18. And I'm going to try to show you how they all tie together in this one story from Luke chapter 18 verses 35 through 43, about Jesus' encounter with a blind man. And as we look at this passage of Scripture together, we're going to see the answer to this question. What kind of person does Jesus save? What kind of person does Jesus save? Other people came to Jesus. Some of them we would expect to have been saved, and they went away unsaved. And so what kind of person does Jesus save? In the midst of all of this failure. Our passage this morning answers the question. And I'm going to put this big idea with a colon on it on the screen because unlike other passages, other messages of mine, I'm going to fill in the big idea as we go along. So each component of this message is going to give us another piece of the big idea so that each part will help us fill in the answer to the question. And when the message is done, we'll know the answer. We'll know what kind of person Jesus saves. And so what kind of person does Jesus save? Let's look together at Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. The scripture says this, as Jesus approached Jericho, and it's helpful to remember that Jesus is on a journey from the northern part of Israel, Galilee, where he spent most of his time, to Jerusalem, the city where he will be betrayed and crucified and will rise again. And Jesus is on this long meandering pathway from Galilee to Jerusalem. And Jericho is pretty close to Jerusalem, just a handful of miles away, just a few hours walk from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is getting very close as he approaches this ancient city of Jerusalem. But verse 35 continues and says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. A common occurrence in the times in which Jesus lived. People who were disabled or ill or older and unable to provide for themselves and who were detached from the nurturing and providing that family would normally provide were forced into a situation where all they could do was rely on the kindness and good-heartedness of others. And this man somehow has found his way out to the major road that enters the city of Jericho. And the Bible tells us that he is begging, That is, he is looking to the generosity of others to save him from death by starvation and to rescue him from a difficult life. This is the person that Jesus chooses to save. Now, his salvation comes, we'll see later, first of all, with the restoration of his sight. Blindness is his biggest human problem, his biggest physical problem and jesus restores his ability to see but we're going to see that the salvation that jesus gives goes so much deeper than the physical restoration of his sight that jesus saves this man in every sense of the word the spiritual sense as well as the physical and so as we as we read what the description of this man is we see the kind of person that jesus saves and the first answer to that question that we receive in this passage is this Who does Jesus save? Jesus saves people who need him desperately. Who does Jesus save? Jesus saves people who need him desperately. And verse 35 shows us a man who needed Jesus desperately. It said that as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. This man had a problem that no one could help him with. They could help him meet his daily needs, but they couldn't solve his fundamental problem, which was blindness. And the fact that Jesus chooses a man who is blind, and Luke gives us this story in this context, is designed to show us that we need God desperately. We need the salvation of Jesus desperately because We have problems that we can't fix ourselves. That was this guy's problem. Why did he need Jesus desperately? Because he couldn't fix himself. When we ask the question, who does Jesus save? The Bible says Jesus saves people who need him desperately and they need him desperately because they can't fix themselves. This goes to the issue of the man's blindness. Blindness is a problem that was unfixable in Jesus's world and In fact, in our own world, as advanced as we are medically, most instances of blindness cannot be cured by medical intervention. It's an unsolvable problem for most people who have it. And it certainly was for this man in our story. And so here's a man who knew on his own he couldn't fix his worst problem. And everyone who saw him begging and gave to him out of compassion, knew that he was in a situation not of his own making, and one that he could not fix himself. And so the fact that he is blind shows us that he has a problem that no one but Jesus could fix. And I told you that his story brings together many threads from the other passages in Luke chapter 18, and this is certainly true. When we talk about a problem that this man can't fix on his own, he stands in contrast to the Pharisee that we saw back in verses 11 and 12 of Luke chapter 18, who thought that he had fixed himself with God's help. Remember, he said this in verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like those other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all that I get. Here's a man who thinks he was able to fix himself. That by his own moral goodness and his own obedient acts to God's law, he was able to fix his problem. Jesus goes on later in this passage and says, this man did not go out of the temple justified. Someone else did. And the reason he did not go out justified was he did not see his desperate need of God. He thought he could handle his own problems. He thought he could fix himself. People who think they can fix themselves and handle their own problems are not the kind of people that God saves. God saves people who know that they need Jesus desperately. And they need him desperately because they can't fix themselves. Verse 35 goes on to tell us even more about this situation. It tells us that this man needed Jesus desperately because no one else can save them either. He can't fix himself, can't be saved by anyone else. Again, verse 35 says this. Jesus approached Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Begging and receiving gifts as a result of that begging was a temporary solution, a partial solution to a really big problem. This man was dependent on the generosity of others to provide for his daily needs, but nobody was able to fix his real problem. He couldn't fix himself, and no one was available to fix him either. The most generous stranger who came by and gave him the most generous gift he ever received begging still couldn't ultimately help him, still couldn't ultimately save him from the problem that he had. And Jesus is showing us here that he saves those who realize they can't fix themselves and no one else can fix them either. No one else can save them either. And again, in this section, we see another contrast to what Jesus has shown us already in Luke chapter 18. We see that in, in this uh, man and his uh, looking to Jesus to help As we look in, uh, let's look together in verse 36. It says, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. No one else could fix this man's problem. Which is why he called out to Jesus so loudly and so earnestly. Because he realized that Christ could do what no one else could do for him. And in so doing, he illustrated something that Jesus had said when Jesus was talking to, in an earlier passage in Luke 18, to the man, the rich young man who came to him and said, what do I lack? And Jesus commanded him to give everything he had to the poor and come and follow Jesus. The Bible says the man went away sad because he had great riches. He was unwilling to do what Jesus said. And so he went away unsaved. And Jesus remarked about this. He talked about the truth of God doing the impossible to save those who can't fix themselves and be fixed by anyone else. He says this in verses 25 through 27. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are perplexed by this saying. They don't say, yeah, that's right, the rich people are terrible. God loves to save other people. No, they say in the next verse, who can be saved? They realize that if rich people can't get saved, then what hope do the middle class, if there were were any in those time period, and the poor have? And Jesus said this, what is impossible with men is possible with God. This is why Jesus chose a blind man, in an impossible situation, to receive salvation and to illustrate all of these truths that we're talking about. Because everyone would see God doing the impossible for this man when they healed, when he healed his blind eyes. And so what is common about people that Jesus saves? What makes someone the kind of person that Jesus is willing to save? It is the kind of person who needs him desperately. We need him desperately because we can't fix ourselves and because no one else can save us. We need the power of God to do the impossible. And the truth of the matter is that even after we are saved, we still need God desperately. We don't get saved and receive a lift from the desperate situation that we're in, and then we're good to go on our own. The Bible says the Christian life is a constant understanding of our desperate need of God and His work in our lives. And in fact, we put ourselves in spiritual jeopardy when we think that we don't need the grace of God to operate. Jesus said this to the church in Laodicea in the book of, Je- in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, He said, "'You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing.'" But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, notice this next word, blind, and naked. Here was a church who thought because they were prosperous that they had everything, that they had fixed all their problems, and that Jesus coming into their lives had fixed everything else. And Jesus is saying, Your arrogance has caused you to move away from me as the source of your power. You fail to understand that the Christian life is a life of desperate need. So the ones that God saves are those who need Him desperately, but even once we are saved, we still desperately need the power of God to work in our lives every day. What kind of person does Jesus saves? Jesus saves people who need Him desperately. That's the first part of our big idea for today's message. Jesus saves people who need him desperately. But there's more to the story. As we continue our reading in verse 36, the Bible says, When this man, this blind man, heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in so doing, by speaking this way, he tells us again, the kind of person that Jesus saves. He tells us that not only is it someone who realizes their desperate need, but that it's someone who calls on his mercy boldly. Jesus saves people who call for his mercy boldly. There was a subtle change in, this, in these two verses that I just read that I wonder if you noticed. It's subtle, but oh, is it powerful and oh, is it important for us to see. Look again at Verse 36 says, when he heard the crowd going by. So here's the man sitting by the roadside, can't see a thing. But he's been sitting there probably for a long time and he knows what the normal patterns of traffic sound like. He knows that maybe on a big market day there are carts that go by and he knows what they sound like and he knows what traffic at noonday sounds like and he's well familiar with the patterns of travel on this road and all of a sudden there is a loud commotion. A huge number of people, unlike he's ever seen before, And they're making a ruckus like he's never heard before. And he's trying to sort out what all this means. And so he finally just calls out to somebody going by for help. Tell me what's going on, he asks. What's happening? And notice what they say to him. Now, now Luke doesn't tell us who this is. He just says it's the crowd. So we don't know if these are actual genuine followers of Jesus or if they're just interested parties. But somebody clues him in in verse 37. It says they told him Jesus of Nazareth. Is passing by Now, by saying Jesus of Nazareth, whoever answered this man's question was using the common lingo of their day. You and I have a first name and a last name, and our last name distinguishes us from all the other people who have our first name. Unless you have a first and last name like mine, and then there are scores of people in this world who have the exact same name. In Jesus' world, they didn't use the first and last name thing. They used your first name and where you were from. How did you distinguish Jesus from all the other Jesuses in the world? And there were others. You distinguish them by saying, well, the Jesus that's from Nazareth. That's how you distinguish a particular person. And so whoever answered this man's question says, it's Jesus, the guy from Nazareth. He's coming by. That's why there is such a commotion. Okay, and so Jesus is identified by his human name, Jesus of Nazareth. But notice how this man speaks to Jesus. In the next verse, verse 38, he says, he called out, Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see the difference between the name he was given and the name he cried out? Yes, he called Jesus, Jesus, but he did not call him Jesus of Nazareth. He called him Jesus, son of David. And in so doing, he was making a very profound statement of faith. Jewish people knew that God had promised that David would have a greater son, that someday a man would come, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, would come into this world. He would be a descendant of David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. But he would set up a kingdom, a Jewish kingdom, that would never end and that he would rule In that kingdom forever and that those days of his rule would be days in which miracles happened like never before where the lame walked and people were raised from the dead and blind eyes were made to see somehow this blind man had heard the stories about jesus of nazareth he'd heard reports that jesus was doing the things that messiah was expected to do And although he lacked physical vision, with the eyes of faith, he saw through the reports of Jesus' miracles to his true identity. This isn't Jesus of Nazareth as if he was just another man from another town. This is Jesus, David's anointed son. And he saw and he heard, he saw spiritually speaking, When he heard about the miracles, exactly what the miracles were to teach. Now, I've taught this in other passages in Luke, that the purpose of the miracles that Jesus did were to authenticate him as a person, so that people would know that he was not merely a man or a great teacher, but that he, in fact, was someone else. Whoever was following Jesus and leading the way and called him Jesus of Nazareth had heard and seen Jesus do great things, but they were blind to the meaning of those things. This man who is physically blind and can't see Jesus personally or physically has his eyes open to the identity of Jesus. He understands that Jesus is someone special, that Jesus is the promised son of David. And he calls out to him for his mercy. Why does he do this? Because he recognizes who Jesus really is. And this is what happens when God saves someone. When God saves someone, he gives them the the spiritual insight to understand that Jesus is not merely a man, but that he is God, that he is the promised one, that he has the power to do the impossible, to save the impossible sinner, which is every one of us. This man calls out to Jesus boldly because he understands who Jesus is. And by the way, this is the very point that Luke was trying to establish in his writing. All the way back from the very beginning, Jesus, or Luke is trying to show us through the lives and teaching of Jesus that Jesus is the son of David, that he is the promised Messiah. Remember back in Luke chapter 1, the prophecy of Jesus' coming that was given to His mother, Mary, and to his adoptive father, Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 and 27, and then verses 32 and 33. Notice the insight that is given about the person of Jesus. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Where's Jesus from? He's from Nazareth. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's interesting, isn't it? The passage goes on. The virgin's name was Mary. Then the angel announces this prophecy to Mary. And what he says is this, he, that is your son, will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. When Mary received the prophecy that she was about to give a birth to a miraculously conceived child, It was an answer and a fulfillment of God's prophecy that David would have a son who would rule in an eternal kingdom and that that son would be the son of the Most High God. Many people who heard Jesus teach and even saw his miracles were blind to the reality of who he was, but a blind man who knew he couldn't save himself had his eyes open to the person of Jesus. He cried out to Jesus for mercy because he recognized who Jesus really is. And this is what is common for all those that God saves in Jesus Christ. God saves those who recognize that they have a desperate need. But there's more than just recognizing your desperate need. You need to recognize who Jesus is. That he is not merely a man but that he is God in the flesh, come to fulfill every promise that God ever made to humanity. This man calls out boldly to Jesus for salvation, for help, because he recognized who Jesus really is. And notice this about the man, that he called out boldly despite what others thought of him. And this is, again, common to those who receive the salvation that Jesus offers. They call to him boldly despite what others think. Look at verse 39. It says there, Those who led the way rebuked him. They did not like what this man was saying. Why? I'm not really sure. Was it the statement of faith that he made by calling him Jesus, the son of David? Or was it just that they were annoying Jesus who was on a journey? One way or the other, they don't like what this man says, and so they try to shut him up. Verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Instead of being intimidated into silence by the opinion of the crowd, this man turns up the volume. He cranks up his intensity. He allows both his desperate need and his recognition of who Jesus is to fuel his boldness in asking for God's help through the person of Jesus Christ. And this blind man then again connects something else that we saw here in the gospel according to Luke chapter 18, at the very beginning of the passage. Jesus told a parable about the boldness that God wants us to have when we call out to him for his help. In this case, it's a help for justice. But the point of the of commonality between this is the boldness. Remember in Luke eighteen um, verses six through eight, the scripture says, And the Lord God said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for those who cry, uh, for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night, will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This was the the story that Jesus told about the need and our need to have boldness. And this man embodies exactly what Jesus said. He calls out for Jesus boldly, despite what others think. And the reason for this boldness, of course, is that he has faith. They call out to him boldly because they have a faith that he will answer. Look at verses 40 through 42. In verse 40, Jesus hears the cries of this man for his help. And the scripture says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Now notice this, your faith has healed you. And I've talked about this before in other passages of healing, but the language here is not healing, it's saved. That's why I say this is a passage about salvation. When Jesus says, receive your sight, what he said was, your faith has saved you. And the faith that this man had when he heard the reports about Jesus and believed them to be pointing to the person of Jesus, the son of David, the faith that he had is what generated and caused him to call out and ask for God's help and seek the mercy that he wanted from the Lord. And here's the passage I just read to you where he embodies the boldness that God wants us to have. But the truth of the matter is, again, that although we need boldness to call on Christ for salvation, we also need boldness to call on Him as Christians. The Scriptures continue to encourage us that once we are saved, we need to continue to speak to God boldly for the things that we need. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." This man called out to Jesus for mercy because he had faith that Christ would answer. And this is true of everyone who receives salvation in Jesus Christ. We see Jesus as He is. We believe who He claims to be. We call out for His mercy boldly. And then once we receive His mercy and salvation, we keep crying out to Him boldly, just as He commanded us to do in Luke 18:1 through 9. We call out to him boldly in prayer because we believe that he will answer. What kind of person does Jesus save? We've seen already that he saves people who need him desperately and that he saves those who call for his mercy boldly. But there's a third characteristic that this man embodies about those that Jesus saves. And that third characteristic is this. Jesus saves people who follow him worshipfully. Jesus saves people who follow him worshipfully. Now, this isn't a condition to receive salvation. It's a product of the salvation that we receive. But it is a product that flows through everyone who receives God's grace, God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And we see it in this man as he embodies so much about everything that is true about those that God saves. In verse 42, Jesus said, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. And in verse 43, we read these words, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. Praising God. And When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This tells us that those who are saved by God follow him in worship. And let's break this down a couple of different ways. First of all, following him is about discipleship. It's about discipleship. It's about becoming a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's about forsaking my own will and my own agenda and doing what God calls me to do in Jesus Christ as his follower. And here this blind man stands in contrast to the rich ruler in Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. Remember, this man comes to Jesus and says, What do I lack in my salvation? And Jesus said, Well, you just got to obey the commandments, right? Just do what God said and you'll be fine. And the man said, oh, yeah, I've done that. I'm good. But he's aware that something's still missing. And he says, so what still do I lack? Jesus said this in Luke 18, verses 22 and 23. Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus commanded this rich man to follow him after he had divested himself of the true gods in his life, you'll remember. The problem with this man was he was disobeying the early commandments that say, you will have no other gods before me. His God was his wealth. Jesus said, forget your wealth, serve me devotedly, get rid of what you have and follow me. Jesus commanded him to follow. And what did this man do? It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He failed to receive the salvation in Jesus Christ because he did not want to follow Jesus. The cost was too high. In contrast, the blind man here gladly follows Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus when he enters Jerusalem and goes through the things that God had for him there. And this is true of everyone who comes to truly believe in Jesus Christ. Many people make professions of faith. Those that God save show their salvation by following Jesus in discipleship. But we also follow Him in worship. Those that Jesus say follow Him in discipleship, but we also do it in a worshipful way. Look at verse 43 again. The Scripture says, Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. This man was so overwhelmed with what God had done for him, so thankful for God's salvation and grace in his life, so thankful for the restoration of his sight and that God had done what only God can do, that he couldn't help but overflow with words of praise and adoration to God. The Bible says this is what all true believers in Jesus do. We praise Jesus. We tell Jesus everyone around us, what God has done for us. And the truth of the matter is, this is what Jesus came to accomplish. Jesus came to save people so that we would praise him. Here's a Jewish man who praises him as a result of the faith and the gift of God and the salvation he received. But the Bible says the Gentiles, people like us, also are being saved in order to worship God. Look at this passage from Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 11. It says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarch might be confirmed. This is everything that, in a nutshell, is happening in this passage, but I go on. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Why does God save people? Why does he save people who need him desperately? Why does he save people who call for his mercy boldly? Why does he save people who follow him? It's because he wants our worship. He deserves our worship, but he can only have it if he does the impossible work of salvation within us. God saved you for many reasons, but one of them is so that you would follow him in worship. And what happens when people follow him in worship? The truth is it overflows to others. The testimony of those God saves causes others to worship God as well. We see that at the end of verse 43, which says this, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And so here we have a what might look like on the surface, an unremarkable story, unremarkable because we're used to Jesus going places and doing miracles. And yet when we dig between, beneath the surface a bit and think about the implications of what Luke is saying here, we see how this man embodies everything that Jesus has been trying to teach us about those who are saved and those who are not. Who does Jesus save? Jesus Jesus saves people who need him desperately, not those who think they've got life nailed. Jesus saves people who call for his mercy boldly, not those who say, well, God wouldn't save a sinner like me. And Jesus saves those who follow him worshipfully, not those who just want the benefits, but want to live as undercover Christians from then on. And so the big idea for this message, the answer to the question, what kind of person does Jesus save is this, Jesus saves people who need him desperately, call for his mercy boldly and follow him worshipfully. Maybe you've come here this morning and you have a desperate need for God to work in your life. Maybe it's a physical need of some kind or an emotional problem or a spiritual issue Do you understand that God wants to do something more powerful and deeper in your life than just fix your human problems? God wants to save you from eternal damnation and make you a praising follower of His. If you have a desperate need, the call and the command of Jesus is to come and receive His salvation as a gift. But Call for it boldly. And then follow Him. Worshipfully. For those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we must never get away from this kind of attitude. We must never forget how much we need the grace of God each day. And we must continue to call for it boldly and then live it out and worshipfully in our lives. What kind of person does Jesus save? Jesus saves people who need Him desperately. Call for His mercy boldly and follow Him worshipfully. I hope you've received the salvation that only Jesus gives.